please open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 42, where we left off, chapter 42. And we are going to take two chapters today. And we will see here, as we look at these two chapters, it will move it pretty smoothly through. And uh, we'll get out in the next three hours, but we'll be just fine for lunch. I'm sure you will. I think we actually have a couple extra donuts somewhere. If you're starving, we'll feed it to you on your go. <clears throat> but yes, we'll be good to go. Uh, Genesis chapter 42. Or my voice will go out instead. We'll see either one. True repentance or true reconciliation to take place starts with true repentance. Restoration. Restoration or re reconciliation with God or with someone else in your life, it starts with true repentance. If you think you can restore a relationship within your family, or friends, or whatever relationship you are now thinking about, just remember, you cannot be restored, you cannot have reconciliation, truly restoring that relationship, until you have true repentance take place in, or humbly true repentance, or humbly confessing of the sin that caused the division within that relationship. And often at times, it takes time for a person to get to that place. And we're going to see in our chapters today, God orchestrating some steps and some scenarios to bring about a change of heart in the lives of these brothers of Joseph. That will ultimately, as we move on in the scripture here, we'll see true repentance taking place because it'll be such a true humbleness of, of just confession and repentance, and the, but the rest restoration will come. We will see a time of testing of Joseph's brothers. We'll see a test of the father and Joseph himself. But God had a plan and he sent Joseph ahead to Egypt in a very unusual way that we would have never dreamt of or would want to have happened to us. He was sold as a slave for 20 pieces of silver sent down to Egypt to get rid of the guy so that, that the dreams that he had that God gave him would not be fulfilled. You don't mess with God. Because <laughs> you may think you can stop what God wants to do. He's going to still bring it full. He's going to have his way. He can do it the easy way or the hard way. And then unfortunately, in this case, the brothers caused it a hard life for uh, a change of life. But God lifted Joseph, as we see uh, in last week, He's now in the governorship, the second most powerful position in the world or in Egypt at this time. Amazing. Here's a young 17-year-old Hebrew boy, cast out, rejected, condemned, sold off, wanting him to die, to a slavery. And God took a hold of him and said, no, 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 no. That's not my plan for this man's life, this boy's life, and raised him up now in a position of power to God can use for his purpose, as we will see, to save the nation of Israel. Now remember, last week we were kind of coming through the first seven years of prosperity. There's plenty of food, everything's going great, everyone's happy, everyone's loving each other, everyone's living life. But remember part of the dream that God gave to Pharaoh that 
Joseph interpreted was seven years of prosperity, but then that would be followed by what? Seven years of famine, a severe famine. This is where we pick back up here in chapter 42, and it's the first two years of the seven years of the famine that we're now sitting in right now. So as we take a look at this, fine, let's watch this. So in Genesis chapter 42, verse 1, it says, When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Well, that's nice, they've got food, but we don't. No, he says, he says, why do you look at one another? So he's ready to about to say something. Why do you look at one another? And he says, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send his Joseph's brother, Benjamin, with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall me. So here you are, you've got dad, you're sitting there and you're responsible for an entire tribe of the entire family and extension family. He's like, we're, we're running out of food here. It's been this two years of drought, we're running out of food. And he's t telling his sons, you're going to have to go to Egypt. But he pauses and he says, what? Why do you look at one another? The reason why they were looking at one another is because anytime you heard, they heard the word Egypt, they immediately triggered. They knew where they sent their brother, Joseph. They sold him to the Ishmaelites who were going where? To Egypt. So anytime you hear the word Egypt, they were like, Dad just said Egypt. And Dad is about to tell us to go to Egypt. This is not good. It's like Mufasa. You know, you, you hear Mufasa and you're like, oh, what's, what's good about him? Something in your mind right now, I know if I said the word or you, you smelt that smell or you heard something or felt something, you immediately have a trigger and you remember that is not good. You have a very negative connotation and it immediately makes your hair stand up the back of your neck and all the physical reactions happen in your head. That's what we must have been taking place in the brothers because when dad said you're going to Egypt, they immediately remember the guilt, the shame, and everything they've had to live with for now almost 20 years. 20 years of remembering what you did. You sold off your brother for, to be dead, to be killed, to be used and killed, and watched your father grieve day after day after day. And now he's saying, you're going to Egypt because they have food and you need to go get the food. So now it could be, not only are they triggering off the fact that the word Egypt, the fact that they, what's, what's happened to Joseph, is he still alive, is he dead probably by now? But he is also, dad was telling him, you're going to about 250 to 300 mile journey through a dangerous area, a round trip, consuming about six weeks of time. Six weeks. So this wasn't a simple little journey. Uh, sons, could you get in the car and go to the Sam's Club and grab some food and when you come back? And, no. Sam's Club, when you, I say Walmart, some of you, like it's like Egypt to him, right? Oh, no, we're not going to Walmart, are we? 
And we're not talking a simple journey here. We're talking six weeks and traveling in the desert, 250, 300 mile round trip. This was not an easy request of death. But again, it's famine. They're starving. They're getting to a point where they need food. So here we come. There's this, 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 this moment where he says, you're going to go, but you're not taking your younger brother. You're not taking uh, Benjamin with you because lest some calamity befall him. Now, dad does. I don't think dad was real jiggy and understood and really knew. I think he said something must have been up with the fact that he lost Joseph and his older brothers. The, the things weren't lining up. So the last thing dad's going to do is have Benja something happen to Benjamin just like Joseph. Not going to happen. That boy is staying with me. I'm not going to be by myself. You younger guys can go down and get the food. So sure enough, they were obedient, right? Even with all the circumstance, even with all the things that are going on here with Joseph and Egypt and all everything that's associated with it, they, these, these circumstances that God has created, let me repeat that. The circumstances that God created is what God needed to create to get them to get out of Canaan and get down to Egypt. It's all part of God's plan. Now, as difficult as that is, we find ourselves in very difficult circumstances at times, and you wonder, God, what are you doing here? The last thing I want to do is see that person. The last thing I want to do is go and having to live here or move here or having to move, whatever it is, fill it in for you. But know that God is in control of your life as a child of God, and he is using that circumstances to get you to what? Move. To get you to do something that more than likely you would never would ever want to do. And sure enough, in the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and what? Bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. So you see the dream is starting to be fulfilled here. The dream was that all those brothers were going to do what? Bow down to him one day, and sure enough, 10 of them just bowed down. The 11th one, Benjamin is not there. Dad's not there. But we will see as we continue in our journey. Yes, one by one, all will bow down to Joseph just like God said he will. But he used the circumstances of famine to do that. And now with orchestrating over the years, God lifted Joseph up in the position of governor over the land. And you were not going to buy and sell without approval by him. So they're not going to sit there and go, we don't like this guy. Let's go figure out someone else can do this. No one was going to budge unless Joseph, or in this case the governor, allows it. And they understood that. They're going to get down. They're going to go down and see and, and do whatever it takes to officially get some food. They're, they're going down with the right hearts. They're not going to steal the food. They had the money. They're taking the money down. They're, going to, they're prepared to buy. But we were going to see here something very interesting. That through God's providence, he can and does use evil actions of men towards us to further his good plan. 
Now, this does never excuses man's evilness. This doesn't, that doesn't mean it's okay, but it means God's wisdom and goodness are greater than man's evilness that are coming against us. We see that in Psalm 76.10, where it says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you, capital Y. So God can even use things like war and other things and situations that are people coming... He can use that for that circumstance to get to move and to change and to fulfill the plan that he has for your life. So Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Why is that? Well, remember, he was a 17-year-old young man. He had a 17-year-old body. He didn't have his man's body yet. He's now into the 20 years later. He's now into about 27, 28 years of age. He's got a man's body. Remember, back then they were trying to grow hair. Now he is clean face, all polished up. He has got all the getup that the governor would have. You never got this close to the governor. The governor would have sat way over there. You would have been so far away. No one would have been coming. But even with that, he understood who they were. But because it's been playing in his mind, his brothers, his, what his visual of his brothers. He knew who his brothers were in his mind. But they never anticipated his brother who he, they sold off to was going to be the second most powerful man in Egypt. Who in their right mind would have ever even thought that? It's like an association, right? The association of, I, I know you. I, I know you. I know your face. I know you. But, it, but the place you're seeing them is not associated with what you remember. That happens all the time in church, right? I see you and I go, I know you. Have you been here? No. And then come to find out, I saw them and met them somewhere else. It's just the association piece. So we see here that they get there. Joseph recognized them. They don't recognize him because of the changes. Then Joseph remembered the dreams. So God all of a sudden triggers and says, oh, let me bring back the dreams to you, Joseph, of what I told you years ago that you told your brother and your father. So Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them you are spies you have come to see the nakedness of the land well remember the last time he met his brothers and saw his brothers were what they were selfishly threw them in a pit then sold them off wanted to get rid of them rejected them got some money off because they were greedy men they wanted the they didn't want dad to give the heir to him, so they wanted the money and all everything that dad had. So in his mind, these brothers are just nothing but self-centered, selfish people who wanted control, and they didn't care who they had to roll over, and they're probably down here looking what they can get out of Egypt. He says to him, you're coming here and you're just looking at every aspect of the land here of Egypt, the nakedness, meaning there's nothing will be hidden from you. You're looking everywhere to find what you can get out of this country and you are nothing but spies because you're checking it out to see if you're going to come from wherever you are to invade this land and take the food that we have. So he called them, you're the spies. That's who I know who you are. 
But they see what the response is. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons, and, and we are honest men. Really? You're speaking to the guy who you sold off, and you've been like, okay, we'll, we'll deal with that later. We're honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. In fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. Whoa. Can you imagine hearing those words coming out of the brother's mouth? So they validated for Joseph, okay, there's a dad, there's 12. They're at least acknowledging the fact that he even existed. He just says, there's no more. Oh, that's an interesting way of saying it, isn't it? There's just no more. But notice here as we continue, Joseph does not sit there, which I probably would have. Okay, tell me how he's no more. Tell me how he, he no longer exists here. I'm curious of how, what the story's like. Okay, it's been a few years. You started off by saying, ah, some animals got you. But what does the story sound like today? But he didn't do that. It's interesting. Because I believe he didn't ask those questions as a revenge or as a I gotcha moment. He is a heart of Joseph has truly forgiven his brothers. Not forgot. <laughs> he hasn't forgotten. When someone comes against you, you don't forget. It doesn't plague you anymore. It, you don't, you're not, no longer uh, paralyzed by the situation anymore. But you've, been, you've forgiven. You forgave them. That is why I believe he did not drill down. What do you mean you're one of your brothers is no more? He just passed it off like it's no big deal here, as we will see. But Joseph said to them, this is how his response was. It is as I spoke to you saying, you are spies. So even when them saying that, he didn't convince Joseph yet. It, why? Because once, you, once someone has done something, it's almost like it, we'll see God is going to test them. And he's going to use Joseph to test these brothers to see if there's a change of heart or not. Or if these are still self-centered, selfish ambitious young men who want everything but see no you're still spies and in this manner you shall be tested ah here joseph's going to test them what's is going to be the first test here's the first test by the life of pharaoh meaning whatever happens here pharaoh is going to bring the judgment down on your head so by the life of pharaoh you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison. The word Hebrew word here for prison means uh, confinement. So he wasn't in a deep, dark dungeons is where he's putting him. He's putting him where he was in. The same dungeon. He was in confinement. He was, he was, he's, he's, he's not going to be of the freedom to leave, but he's not going to be tortured either. That your words may be tested to see whether they are there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies so he put them all together in prison for how many days three days so we see that Joseph spoke through an interpreter this one of the things that they couldn't understand he said there here he is he's got an interpreter he's only speaking the Egyptian language 
and in, they're speaking Hebrew, and the interpreter is going back and forth, and you can and see the situation at hand, and they have no clue that this is actually their younger brother standing in front of them in Will Powell, right? And we see this playing out, and Joseph's pretty consistent. You're a spy. You have wrong intentions. Your heart's not right. I know this, but I'm going to test you. Bring your brother Benjamin here. Of course, he wants to see his younger brother. What a great test. Why? Because God wants them all to be there. So he's going to test him by saying, you've got to bring the brother. You notice he did not say, bring your father. He just said, bring the brother. So he says, go down and do that. But in the meantime, I'm going to have you, one of you leave, and the rest of you are going to be in confinement or in prison. And they did this for three days. Now, God can and must sometimes use ways we think are harsh to call us to go to where he wants us to be. And we must never resent it. We must never resent it because it was the hardness of their hearts that demanded harshness to get their hearts to be more pliable, more open and willing to be changed. We call it pressure at times. There has to be, we call it, you call it harshness, but in sometimes it is just more pressure. You ever get into your life where you find there's just a lot of pressure? And then you, it seems like I can't take any more pressure, and there's more pressure. You need to stop and say, Lord, what are you doing, and what do you need me to do differently? What do I have to change? You should seek your heart. Seek the Lord. It says, the scripture says, seek my heart, and find any wicked way in it, Lord. So pressure is a reason why God, as a child of God, is bringing pressure in your life to cause a change and make a decision for you to draw close to him. There's a scripture, Psalm 119.67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Let me repeat that for you. Before I was afflicted, before the pressure came, before the harshness came, I went astray. But now, because the affliction, because of the pressure, because of the harshness, I keep your word. Now, I don't know about you. I don't like pressure. <laughs> I don't like the harshness. I don't like the heat. Turn it up. But if that's what causes me to soften and be more pliable, to come back, to be obedient to the word of God, amen, right? Amen. Because we have to trust that God knows best. Father knows best. He's a good God, and he's only going to give you what he knows that you can, is going to cause that change. I just recommend the sooner you become... Receive it and what he has for you and accept it and just be more pliable. Uh, I think the less pressure and the less heat it will be placed upon to get you to change. So he sits there and he made the decision you're in the prison for three days. Now what's interesting, here is where he's not only being testing the brothers, but God is even going to test Joseph here. And I believe God is working in Joseph's life and molding him too here. Because right here in verse 18 says, Then Joseph said to them the third day. So after three days, his brothers are locked up. He's mulling around. God's speaking to him. He changes his language here. Notice this. Do this and live, for I fear God. Now, it's kind of weird as you read through that. If you've read it through it, and, you can, and, and this afternoon, read through it again. 
It's like this, all of a sudden, boom, there's something placed abnormally right there in the middle of this conversation where Joseph says, do this and live for I fear God. Interesting. If you are honest men, let your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. So he changed from one can go and rest of you stay to God, I believe, working in his heart and saying, okay, I fear God, meaning I'm listening to God, I'm going to be obedient to God, and God is telling me, let all of them go except for one, because God had a plan for this. And notice the plan, because he, he recognizes, as much as I want to control you here in the prison and only have one go, I need you to take enough food, enough uh, provision back to the people, my people, to deal with the famine. So he had to send the most of them back, except for one, so that he could load up all the donkeys with all the food to have enough provision to be able to provide for the family back there. And God had to do a work, I believe. That's why the change in language. And that's why he came out and changed direction, said, one stay, the rest of you go. And they went. Now notice here, I fear God. God in the original language is Elohim. Why is that significant? Here's an Egyptian ruler saying Elohim, which means the God of the Israelites. Why is an Egyptian leader saying and talking about their God? Why isn't he referring to their pagan gods, their, their false gods that they worship in Egypt? You would think that would have been a trigger for the brothers that said, what did he just say? How did he know our God, the God of our Father? How did they know Elohim? Why isn't he referring to his, his false gods? But he's bringing attention. So we see little clues that he pops and leads there for the brothers, but the brothers are still not triggered. They're still in fear. They're, they're still paralyzed by the circumstance, and they, they just, they, they're not thinking clearly here. So look at what happens next, verse 21. And then they said to one another, love this. We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Conviction, my brothers and sisters, that is conviction. Out of kindness from the governor of Egypt, referring to their God, God used that to convict them to their core and put the situation they're in and link it up with their sin that they committed against their brother and lied to their father all their whole lives living a lie. God linked it up so that they can see that they were pricked on their heart of the sin that they committed so many years before. Now Reuben has an interesting response that tells you where his heart is. Reuben's answers to them and immediately says, I did not speak to you saying, do not, wait, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen? I told you so, guys. I told you you weren't supposed to do it. I tried to save him. Oh, come on, Reuben, you're the head of the, of the brothers. You should have been manned up. <laughs> you, shouldn't have, you, shouldn't have, you shouldn't have been thrown in the pit in the first place. 
And so they link to here and says, therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter, and he, returned, and he turned himself away from them and wept. And then he returned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So you can see it. The brothers are having and talking Hebrew. They think the, the, the governor has no clue what they're saying, and they're being convicted not only in their hearts, but they're actually saying it to one another. Our blood, everything we're having here, what everything is dealing here is because of the sin we did. We sold off Joseph. We, we basically let him off to be dead, and that is coming against us. God is doing this. God's going to punish us of, of all this, of our sin. And during the whole time, Joseph is listening and leaning in and hearing everything. And what is his response? If you're in the flesh, Joseph would have immediately said, I understand every word you're saying, and I you're going to die right now to the hands of these guards of mine, and I, you just confessed it, and now you're going to die. No. He had a heart of forgiveness. He said nothing. He was so overwhelmed by emotion to hear his brothers speak to him like he doesn't know that he's there. He had to leave and weep and cry. And get himself together. He had lost it. He'd get himself together, and then he came back in, and what did he do? He, right in front of them, he chose Simeon. And grabbed, they grabbed him and bound him and took him away. Can you imagine the brothers' eyes and their feelings of going, we are going back and dad said there was no way Benjamin was coming. And we're going to go back. We're never going to see Simeon again. And it's because of my sin. Now it's affected and killed our brother. And it's going to cause problems here. And, and we're not going to get the grain. And we're people in the whole nation of Israel are going to die. I mean, you can see the rippling effect of what sin can do. And at the same time, remember... In their minds, they're leaning on their own understanding. They're leaning on their feelings. They're leaning on the circumstances that they can only see from their view versus a faith in God and says, God, you're going to preserve us. You have a promises you gave to my father, my father's father, my father's father's father. We have promises. We're going to hold on to this because even though the circumstances is not good, it's still going to work out somehow to the very end. Romans 8.28. They couldn't claim that promise of 8.28. Why? Because they're not loving God. They weren't really walking with God. So they couldn't see how this bad situation was going to turn into good for those who love God according to his purpose. According to his calling. They couldn't, they couldn't claim that as a believer because they weren't really walking with God. They still had sin that was unrepentant. There was no confession. They're now confessing. Now we've got some movement going on here. They're confessing after all these years. They are causing the problem here. And God is going to correct them. But notice when he grabs Simeon and they realize this is, might be the last time we will ever see our brother Simeon. Maybe Simeon volunteered. Maybe Simeon manned up and said, I love you, brothers. And he took a step forward and said, I'll go. Maybe. 
But it, the word here I see is Joseph, or the guards there, when he returned and he talked to them. Notice the last part of that verse 24. He took Simeon. So I believe Joseph said, I want him. Why? Because nowhere in the scripture so far, Simeon really did has done anything. Reuben is really off the wall. He was... He slept with his father's mother. He, 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 it was all kinds of rough. J Judah is the one that came up with the deal of selling him the 20, 20 pieces of silver. But Simeon really, did, he was a wicked man. I mean, he, he really was a wicked man. Remember, he killed all those, uh, all the guys there who got circumcised with Levi. So whatever the reason was, we don't know, but we know that he was the one that they, they took while the other ones are to leave. So we see in verse 25, it says, then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain. So they're going to get the grain because they're going to go back and get Benjamin. To restore every man's money to a sack. What? Put the money also in the sack? The money to buy this? Why is that? Because, again, Joseph is showing kindness and showing love to the brother because he knows that they need it back home. And he gave them provisions for the journey. They even gave him food to even to be able to eat and have food on their way back. He didn't have to do all that. Thus he did for them. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for them out of love. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money. So they hadn't made it home yet. They're at encampment. They're kind of resting. Remember, it is a long journey. They had to stop. They're encamping. They're opening up. They're going to feed their donkeys. They're going to get settled in. What? There's money here. Not just feed, but money. How did they respond? And there it was, in the mouth of the sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them. You can imagine the heartbeat and the chest pain that they were having. And they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that who? God has done to us. Because remember, they recognize their sin is the reason why they're in the situation they're at. And God is the one doing this to them through, because of the consequences of their sin. The pressure, the harshness, everything. Now they see, whoa. God's blessing us. No, they understand having money that they paid for the grain and now having it, they now look like not only they're spies, that they're thieves. They're stealing from each other. They're dead men. Or better yet, or no, I shouldn't say better yet. Change that. Worse yet, it's it. Simeon's a dead man. It's a guarantee. They're not going to go back because they're now thieves. And they'll never see their brother. They're seeing it getting worse and worse and worse. Why? Because that's what sin does. Sin starts small, and as it starts rattling, it's bigger and bigger, and it affects more and more people, and it causes more and more destruction. But they did not know what God was doing through the circumstance. And as a child of God, you cannot lose faith. Even if the circumstances seem to get worse, you've got to go back and draw close to God and trust him and how he's going to turn the bad situation to good for those who love him. So sure enough, my money, they found the money in the sack and their hearts just sunk. And like, God, what are you doing here? The guilty conscience of these brothers were hard at work, but they're bringing every adversity back to God now. 
Prior to going down there, dad, the brothers didn't talk. God, please help us. We're dying here. We're going to go get food. Pave our way. Give us clarity. Uh, give us wisdom. Help us to find you know, favor in the Egyptians. You see nothing, no prayer going, going down there. They're just going on the journey. They're consumed with what their guilt and their sin is. But now, through pressure, through these circumstances, now they're bringing God into this. Now you're seeing them leaning on God. They're now finding out, okay, God, what are you doing through all of this? That's a very good sign. Verse 29, then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man who is the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies in the country. But he said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no, one is no more, and the youngest of, with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will now know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your household and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. And I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sack that surprisingly that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack and when they and their father saw the bundles of money they were afraid so here's the same brothers who lied to joseph who's also lied to the father about his son who you, who he loved the most are now faced telling dad about the situation going on knowing that they lied to their father, knowing that he, they, he was not killed by wild animals, but he was sold to, 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 to slave traders. Now, the brothers repeated the lie again here and would be proven dramatically wrong as he says, one more is no more. So the brother, you know, the father said, what do you mean one no more? I lost my son. You know, it's really emotional time of going on in this, this family. And then Jacob's response here. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. You have causing me such stress and bereaving. I'm dying here. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. <laughs> such drama. So here's Jacob. He's in ter complete turmoil. He's a very wealthy man. He's got all the resources he thinks. He can do whatever he wants to do. And that's what happens when you rely upon your, your, your bank account, your stock account, your abilities physically and, and, and money. You think you have the great, greatest job, the best positions and the power. But when you have something you cannot control, like famine, it's amazing how quickly those who have faith and those who do not have faith comes alive. It's through circumstances that are testing a man or a woman to see if they truly have faith or not. Here, Jacob's faith is very little and sliding by the day where he's to the point where all of these things are against me. Did you not remember the promises that God gave you, Jacob, the one with the ladder with the angels coming up and down? I mean, not every man has that happen every day, you know? 
Did he not bring you from the north into Bethuel and from Bethuel back to the promised land? Like he said, did he not add to your, did he not give you the wealth? Did he not give you the wisdom? And you're still thinking all these things are against me? He's just sliding more and more to a point of lower point of lack of faith. Anytime I'll say, God, what are you doing? Or what is this all happening? This is all terrible. It's not going my way. You're talking to someone who is weak in your faith. And if you tell me that, you're weak in your faith, I know that you're not in the word of God. And if you're not in the word of God, then you're not fellowshipping, true fellowship with Christians with like minded who can encourage you in your faith. It's, it's a very obvious, it's not, it's not earth science, I mean, brain science and those kinds of difficult things to figure out. You have situations where things come out of your mouth, reveals that your faith is weak or no faith, and that means you're not in the word of God, you're not trusting in God, and you are also not fellowshipping. It's so obvious. That's exactly what's happening to, to Joseph here. He's just revealing he hasn't been spending time with God, trusting in God in what he is doing through the situation. Now notice here that... Um, He's referred to as Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. That means he's talking in the flesh. He's not going by his new name, Israel, which means governed by God. He's in the flesh, he's in the flesh, he's in the flesh. But notice there will be a transition here. There will be taking place here and what's going to happen next. Verse 37, then Reuben spoke to his father, again, very emotional like his dad, and saying, kill my two sons. If I do not bring him back to you, put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. So Reuben, out of this response, is a very emotional man goes on his feelings here, and he responds and says, you can trust me, Dad. Just give me Benjamin. I'll take him, and if I don't bring him back, you could kill my two sons. Are you kidding me? You notice in the rest of the scripture, Jacob doesn't even acknowledge the foolishness that came out of his mouth. First of all, he's a grandparent. You think he's going to want you to sacrifice two of his grandsons? I assure you, you as a grandparent, you don't want your, anything to happen to your grandkids. So that's the first thing, is he's foolish in his response. What would that serve at all by killing two of your son or your, your kids over the fact that you weren't able to guarantee to bring back Benjamin? But we see here as it continues, and, and also remember, there's something very interesting, that a crisis doesn't make a man. Oh, we've got to put him in a test and a crisis and see that will make, them, make him a man. And you see that in the philosophy in the world. But a crisis does not make a man. It shows what a man is made of. It just means what he is made of at that time and where he stands in his faith and understanding of God or not. So we see here in chapter 43, we see here in now the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, go back and buy us a little food. I don't know what they were thinking. 
But they were thinking they had enough food to survive, and they were just, I guess, counting Simeon off. Okay, Simeon's off. We're not going to do anything. But again, God says, okay, more pressure, more heat. The famine's really getting severe. Now they've actually used up all the food they went down to Egypt to get. And now Jacob is forced to finally having to be, again, pressured to make the decision he should have made earlier. And that is, he tells his brothers, you go back and get just a little more food. We'll get, and then we'll make it through. But notice what Judah finally steps up and, and speaks with reasoning to his dad. But, dad, but Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send your, our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So he's trying to reason with his dad. We, we'll go, but we're not going to go. We're not just going to be obedient to something we know is not going to work. But if you let him go, we'll go down there. We'll get the food. Now notice the change in language. Jacob, now in this next verse, and Israel. Now Israel responds. That means what he's about to say and do is now God doing the work through him. God governed. Now God is governing J Jacob, now Israel, in his response. Look at his response. And Israel said, Why do you deal so wrongfully with me as I to tell the man whether you had another brother? He's still stuck on that. Why did you even tell him that Benjamin was alive? That we even had a, a son. We wouldn't have the situation if you didn't say, open up your mouth. But they responded, now they're really pressuring back to dad. But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Which means they knew he had a father, right? Have you another brother? Jo Joseph knew they had another brother. <laughs> they were pressuring to see if they're going to be honest. And he told him, according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also your little ones. Dad, let's think this through here. Let me take Benjamin. I'll take full responsibilities. We'll go down there. If we don't go down and get the food now, we're going to die. You're going to die and all your grandkids are going to die. Because you won't let us take Benjamin. Because there is no other way here. You have, we're only one decision to make. And if you do not bring him back to you, if I, if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we do not linger, if, for if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. So lingering, what does that mean? How long do they linger? That gives me the indication if we're talking about a six-week um, a, a six journey kind of a deal, 300 miles and there's a time. They've been home eating now for another month to two months here, and the, the food is wearing out. They said, we could have gone back by now and got the food and came back here. So why are we wasting time, Dad? We have to take care of this. We can no longer wait. 
And then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your, in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man. And may God Almighty, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So God has now put the pressure so much is changing the heart of, of Jacob to now Israel being governed by Israel, I mean governed by God. And now we see the statements coming out of his mouth that's in line with the will of God. He says, and he still uses his own little thing, take a present, take gifts, and go down with gifts as you approach the governor at the gifts. Remember how he was coming back and he, as Esau was coming? What did he do? Got a bunch of gifts, right? Let's soften up Esau before we get there to see how he's going to respond. He's using the same technique. But notice the list here. A little balm, a little honey, and spices, and myrrh. Why that? If you remember previously, the slave traders and the, the ones, the Ishmaelites, what were they taking down to Egypt? The same items. Why? Because those items were the only you could only find in that part of the region. Egypt didn't have any of those types of specialties. So he knows, go ahead, grab some of our local specialties and take it down to them so that they'll have something special that they can't get anywhere in Egypt. And their response would be is that maybe they'll find favor, give your brother back and bring Benjamin back and the grain and we all should live and we all live happy ever ever. Again, Israel's in, at least in line in the will of God here, but he's still using the old techniques of softening people up, right? By bringing gifts prior to going. But at his last statement there, at the end of verse 14, he says what? If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Meaning, I accept whatever God's outcome is, whatever his will is, outcome. If I'm going to bereave and grieve until I die, then I bereave. Then we f come here. So the men took that present and Benjamin and they took double money in their hands and arose and went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin and with him, he said to the steward of his house, kill them all now? Nope. He says what to them? Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. We are going to have a party. See, again, it shows the heart that he did not have any bitterness and resentment to his brothers he's now celebrating what god has done and bringing about then the man did as joseph ordered and the man brought me brought the men into joseph's house now the men were afraid because they were brought into joseph's house and they said it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that we may make a case against us and fall upon us and to take us as slaves with our donkeys. So their mind is still just wrapped up in the circumstances here. They're in just complete negativity. They're just, they went from pessimism 
to now absolute despairing and the lack of faith. This is like, it's, again, it's a spiral. I'm just, when you find yourself pessimistic, you know you're, something's not right. Something's not right in your life. Some, you need to get back to God and you need to find what that is. Because if you're pessimistic, something's not settled right in your heart. Because if you don't, it's going to start getting worse and worse. And you're going to see it getting afraid and doubts and all kinds of stuff. It's going to start creeping into your life. You got to nip it in the bud. Get it, figure it out, sit time, time with the Lord and find out what it is. So here's you guys. They're now getting pessimistic. Now they're afraid. They're now brought into the house. Instead of saying, wait a minute. They could have killed us out here. Why are they coming and bringing us into the house? All they could see is leaning on their own understanding and not, and not acknowledging God's ways, right? All they can see is, oh, no, we're going to be trapped here, and we're all going to die. <laughs> That's all they could be thinking about. And what happens, though? They think they're going to be taking and treating them now as slaves or going to kill them off. But again, Joseph is just nothing but this unusual interest and kindness, and they just couldn't get their head around, why would this man be doing this for us? In verse 19, when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed come, came down to the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened up our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, and our money is in full weight, meaning everything we brought, we had it all back. So we have brought it back in our hand, and we have brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. But look at what the steward says. Now, you know what the steward you, you, you've, you've, you've done this, right? You go to some place you're uncomfortable with. It's new to you. You're not sure what to do. And immediately you look for the, look like, like the most approachable, simplest person to ask the question. Right? You don't, go, you don't go to the general and ask the question. You go find the aide to ask to find out what the general's thinking, right? <laughs> you don't go right to the general. If you're going to go to the, the CEO, you don't go right to the CEO. You go find the secretary or the assistant and say, what's he like or she's like today at work today? You, know, you, you always go find the lowest person to find out what the situation you're uncomfortable with. Well, that's exactly what they did. They went to the steward that was by the door and said, hey, let me tell you the story because you've got to help us here. Because how, do you, how are we going to deal with this when we walk in? You can see it all played out here. And look what the steward says. What he says to them. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father, Elohim, has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. They thought they were in a really bad situation. And then here they are shocked to the core they go to the guy who thinks, okay, he'll be an easy one to deal with and figure out how we can get out of this. And he goes, wait a minute. I had your money. I had your money. But your God, the God of your father, gets all the praise and honor and glory because I gave it back. Now, it can go two, two ways. It can be the fact that God put on, of course, Joseph to tell him to give the money, which we know. And some people believe, did God miraculously give and put the money in the sack. I don't believe that. I believe God was working, and even the steward, 
out of, again, this is an Egyptian who does not worship Elohim, is telling them about their God and how their God can provide. It's, a, it's really a, a, a scary situation for you and I when a non-believer tells you about your God and, and, and helps you to get through your time of lack of faith. That, that's not good. It should be you telling someone else is a non-believer who Christ is and the good news and the hope that you have. But God will do whatever he needs to do to get a, get a hold of you, right? He'll work even through donkeys to speak to you. So here we see it. He says, oh no, I had your money. But your God, your friend, that's why you have your money back. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house, verse 24, and gave them water. Then they washed their feet. And then they gave their donkeys feed. They're like, what is happening here? This is not how we thought this was going to play out. They're actually giving us water because they've been traveling. They're washing our feet because we're nasty. And we're gonna, you're actually going to feed our donkeys too? Why all of this kindness? And then they made the present ready for Joseph coming in. Remember, they brought all that special balm and special pistachios, and they got it all ready because they were about to make sure they led to come to Joseph They're, or to the governor. They're going to lead with the present here. And sure enough, they're ready for Joseph coming at noon, for they heard that they, they, were, they would eat bread there. You mean we're staying and we're actually having a meal with the governor in his house? And when Joseph came in, came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house. And they what? Bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being. Can you imagine? Now, now it's the second time they're bowing down. Now it's all the brothers bowing down, just like the dream. And then the governor is asking, so how was your trip, guys? Did you have any problems when you went back? How's, you know, you made it back safely. I'm so glad you brought Benjamin. Can you imagine? Their heads are spinning. This is not really, really happening here. And he said, is your father well? The old man whom, of whom you spoke, is he, is he still alive? And they answered and says, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. And they're getting as humbled as they can be. And then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. Ooh, Joseph locked in and saw Benjamin. His mother's son and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. You can imagine the overwhelming emotion. Remember, when's the last time Joseph saw Benjamin. He saw him when Benjamin was three years old. Now Benjamin is about 24 years of age. He's completely changed. And he's overwhelmed with emotion that he's actually been able to see his only full brother. The rest of the other brothers were half-brothers. 
It was just only his full brother from the same mother. And all you know, he just wanted to reach out and grab and hold. And he says, be great, God, be gracious to you, my son. So overwhelmed, he had to get it together. So what did he do? He hustled out. He went to his chamber and he just wept and wept and wept. He was overwhelmed and they could not see what he was about to do. Then in verse 31, then he washed his face, came out, got himself together, get it together here, come back out with his governship face on to present, and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. Can you imagine? He's so emotional. All he could get out when he came back out, trying to keep his composure, serve the bread. <laughs> Let's see. You know, that's all he could get out of his mouth because he was overwhelmed by emotion. Serve the bread. So they set him, set him, Joseph, a place for by himself. Then them, the brothers, set them by themselves. And then the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews. For that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So everyone's placed. They're all sitting down. They're all having food. They cannot believe this is happening. And now we finish it up here. And they're even shocked and tested even more by God through Joseph. Look at this. And they sat before him, Joseph. The firstborn, the oldest, Reuben, according to his birthright, and the youngest, according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment to one another. Why? Why were the brothers looking in astonishment to one another? A couple of reasons. One is, can you believe that we're in the governor's house? Can you believe we're having meal with the governor? We've got meat. We've got bread. We've got water. Our feet have been washed. What is going on here? We've been told that we, you know, they didn't look at us as thieves. God gave us the money back. They've got to be overwhelmed. But here's the key. The astonishment, we believe, is this. You just don't walk in to a prominent position like a governor. You don't walk in. If you've ever been to a, a corporate environment or if you've ever gone into a military environment and you're low on the totem pole and you're a private, you don't walk in and pick your seat where you want to sit. Oh, yeah, I want to sit right by the, um, the general. You, you don't get to pick your seat. There's a thing called what? Protocol. <laughs> and protocol tells you this is how you sit in regards to your seniority and your prominence down. Who did that? Who does that seating arrangements? Protocol is just the people who do the work. But who makes the decision? Joseph. So Joseph is lining the brothers up according to their age. Do you know that's one in 400 millionth of a chance of someone guessing and putting alignment of brothers they did not supposedly know and line them up in their age? They were astonished that they were put in the right order. They were astonished they were having a meal with the governor. And they will even be more astonished, if you notice, than he, Joseph, took servings to them from before him. He took his own food and he went and served his brothers, which means ultimately he completely has forgiven his brothers. He is loving his brothers. This is a sign of someone of truly forgiving someone when you can serve that person. 
And sure enough, he took his own food. He served them before him. But notice this little, this little uh, test. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. And so they what? Had a food bite? No. Do they say this is not fair? No. They drank and were merry with him. That was their final test. Let's see if these brothers' hearts have truly changed, or are they going to be envious and jealous like they were of me, and look what happened to me? Have they treated my younger brother Benjamin the same way? And sure enough, they passed this test as well. He gave them five, and there's no indication. They actually sat, and they had a great time having a meal together, and they didn't blink an eye the fact that Benjamin, the youngest of them, got five times more food than them. Why? I think they finally are coming around. And as we continue in this study in the book of Genesis, we're going to see the full confession, the full repentance, and full restoration, reconciliation in the lives of this family.